In anticipation of communion this morning, I want us to look at a text that we religiously recite every time we take communion together, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34 is going to be our passage for this morning as we prepare ourselves to break bread and take from the cup this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that on the that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we might not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. One of the mistakes pastors often make is assuming everyone is tracking with you. There's a lot of things that we do as pastors, a lot of things we do as a church that we just naturally assume people understand why they're why we do these things. There's a lot of things that we do, and even in the context of a worship service, there's a lot of things that we do that pastors naturally assume you understand why we do them. Case in point, in December, I was standing in the narthex, as I normally do, after the service, and a gentleman that has been coming here for some time, not a member, but been coming here regularly, I won't name them and embarrass them, came up to me and said, Pastor, I know we celebrate Christmas and Easter every year, but what's the difference? And then I realized, okay, I probably shouldn't assume that everybody naturally knows why we do what we do. And communion might be one of those things for you. You see, some of you might have grown up in a tradition where you celebrate a communion once a week. Some four times a year, or maybe like us here at Coral Ridge, celebrate it monthly. And it's been something that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And for some of us, if we're honest, 
we give little attention to it whatsoever. It's typically the thing tacked on the end of the service, right? And the only thing you're really concerned about during a communion service is how long is the preacher going to preach for? Because I know I got another 10 or 15 minutes after the sermon. And that's the thing that's probably occupying your mind even right now. And so I thought it would be good before we take another step towards the Lord's table and take communion together to just reflect on these verses briefly before we engage in communion together. Mike Horton, a professor and theologian and popular author, said, because I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, meaning at the cross, I need the gospel preached and the sacraments administered because I need to hear it and be reminded of it because I wasn't there. My heart is prone to wander. My, my heart and mind are prone to forget the benefits of the gospel and the benefits of the grace of Jesus Christ. Another theologian said that communion is like the gospel with clothes on. That we hear the gospel preached regularly, but it's those moments where we get to partake in the, the bread and the cup where the gospel is, we, we can touch the bread and, and, and we hold the cup and, and we begin to see and to remember the gravity of the body being broken and the blood being shed. And Jesus himself here, Paul records Jesus at that last supper, at the Lord's Supper, saying twice, do it in remembrance. Remember, remember, remember. And so I want us to look at briefly, what does this, which we're about to partake in, What does it call us to remember this morning? The first thing it calls us to remember is our past. It calls us to remember the past. In fact, Paul says in chapter 11, verse 23, on the night that he was betrayed, he puts that in there for a reason. Because on the night that he was betrayed, history was changed forever. He takes us back to the past. So when we take the bread and the cup in the Lord's Supper, we're we're transported back in time to that night, that dark, lonely night when Jesus was portrayed. It's, it's, it's Paul's way of saying, never forget that night that every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper together, anytime you celebrate communion together, remember that night. But what was significant about that night? Yes, it was the night that he was betrayed, but that's not what made that night so powerful. You have to remember, what was the last supper of Jesus? The last meal that Jesus partook of was what? The Passover meal. It was Passover. What's Passover? It's a good question. Passover was that event in the history of God's people that is recorded in Exodus. And what happened to God's people? They were enslaved in Egypt. And God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh didn't. And so what did God do? He sends the angel of death to the Egyptians. But what is the promise for the people of God? The promise of the people of God is you shall sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost. Why? So when the angel of death comes, the angel of death will pass over your home. 
and you will be saved. And Moses says to commemorate this event of God's salvation, you shall remember it with the Passover meal every single year. And they would have bread and they would have a cup and they would slaughter the lamb. But what makes this so amazing and why Paul wants us to remember the night he was betrayed is because it turned history upside down. Because what happened at that Passover meal with Jesus? The first thing is this. Jesus doesn't take, as they traditionally would, the bread, the manna, the bread, and say, this is the bread of our affliction. You see, every year at the Passover meal, they would hold up the bread, and and whoever was leading the ceremony would say, this is the bread of our affliction in the wilderness. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He He holds up the bread and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And he goes a step further, and he not only reintroduces them to the new bread, the bread that allows you to never be hungry again, but what does he also do? He introduces them to the new lamb. You see, at the Last Supper, there was no lamb that was sacrificed. Why? As it was done every single year from the time the Israelites escaped Egypt, there was always a lamb at Passover that was sacrificed and slaughtered. But here, we remember the night that Jesus was betrayed, there was no lamb. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when there is no lamb and Jesus stands in their midst, what he is communicating to them on that night, the night that he was betrayed, is I am the greater lamb, a better Passover, a better sacrifice, a better lamb is here. You see, all of the rituals and the Passover meals and the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of the kings and all of the lambs and all of the priests and all of the ceremonies pointed to this day where the true Lamb of God would be in their midst, who would take away the sins of the world. And that is what we're called to remember this day. Remember that night where Jesus says, my body is broken for you. For I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But also we're called to remember this event. And Jesus uses the word remembrance two times. He says, remember my body. Remember my blood. But what's the the significance about this word remembrance? You see, in English, when we think of the word remember, we think of remembrance, we think of in our English vernacular this idea of simply recalling, right? But what is to understand the gravity of Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, we have to understand the opposite of remembrance or to remember. The opposite is what? To dismember to dismember. And what Jesus was saying is, I am taking my body apart. I'm dismembering my body for you so that you can be made whole again. My body is being broken for you tomorrow so that you can be made whole. My blood will be shed tomorrow so that your sins can be covered. So the whole idea, Jesus could have easily said, take this bread and eat it. Take this, take, take my blood and drink it. He doesn't do that. 
He says, take and eat in remembrance. See, the reality of what is happening at the Lord's Supper, at communion, is we come in here this morning dismembered, broken, and wearied. Life seems fragmented and confusing. And what happens at the Lord's Supper when we do it in remembrance of Jesus and His sacrifice, these dismembered, this dismembered body becomes whole again. It comes together. Life that seems confusing and broken and disoriented all of a sudden becomes reoriented around the communion table upon the feast where we remember what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus became dismembered so that we could be made whole. But not only are we called to remember our past or remember what happened 2,000 years ago, we're also called to remember each other. Go back to verse 17. At verse 17, Paul comes out swinging, right? He comes out and he is pretty upset at the church in Corinth. In fact, if you read all of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it's basically indicting this church. This church was full of chaos and division. The people were not together. The people were not on the same page. The people were not seeing eye to eye. And Paul is using this just one example of communion to show how fragmented and divisive this group of people really had become so quickly after Jesus had left earth. And he, and he uses examples of all of these social classes and how they had become divided. He says, you're so divided, there are people that actually come to the communion meal and they're not even welcome to the table. You have become so divided, there are people that go without anything to eat. Because bitterness and self-righteousness has come into your midst. And what he's basically saying here, what's the result? What's his answer? He says, you might as well not even eat. Why? Because you're a walking contradiction. You cannot say that I have God in my life and that Jesus has saved me and I believe in the very gospel that unites me to God and then be divided with my brothers and sisters. He says, you're a walking contradiction. You might as well not even eat today. You might as well not even partake of communion because when you take communion and there's bitterness in your heart and self-righteousness in your heart, think about self-righteousness. The whole message of the gospel is that we believe that there is another righteousness that saves us. As he said, so the reason bitterness and divisiveness happens is because of self-righteousness. It's the opposite of what the gospel does. So he says, you might as well not even partake. And what does he say to do instead? Verse 28, let a person examine. Let a person examine himself this morning or herself this morning. Do I sit here this morning divided with another brother and sister? Do I sit here this morning harboring hatred or bitterness or self-righteousness against another member of the body of Christ? I can't take the bread, and the cup, which communicates to the world that we are one, but be divided in my heart with another person in this room. Examine yourself. 
Does the gospel that has saved you, is it also demonstrated in the way that we commune as one family, as one people of God? Don't eat, don't drink, he says, because it contradicts the beauty of the gospel. Because the gospel is the very means by which men and women, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, black and white, rich and poor, young and old, all come together at this table as one. That's the beauty of the gospel. And if there's divisions among us, it contradicts the beauty of the gospel. So the communion table gives us an opportunity to remember each other, remember our commitment to one another. And lastly, the communion table not only allows us to remember what happened in our past 2,000 years ago, it not only allows us to remember each other, but it allows us to remember our future. In verse 26, Paul writes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we are about to do is an amazing thing because regardless of what your day has been so far, regardless of this past week, this past month, this past season of life, when we gather and take the bread and take the cup and the reason that we stand and sing at the end of the service in celebration is we are announcing not to just one another we are announcing to the world that Jesus won that the best is yet to come that Jesus through his death and through his sacrifice has gained our victory and life forever and we can now go out from this place with a renewed passion and vigor and excitement and energy into the marketplace and into our businesses and communities and neighborhoods proclaiming that Jesus is alive that the best is yet to come that we have a hope that is out of this world And that's what we do when we take the bread and dip it into the cup and we sing together in celebration. We announce that the best is yet to come here in Fort Lauderdale and beyond. We announce and remember our future, a future hope. There's a Jewish custom when a man is married to a woman and there's a bunch of rituals and ceremonies that need to take place during the marriage ceremony but one in particular happens at the very end of the ceremony where the groom takes a cup and he fills it with wine and he brings it to his bride and he says this He says, this is the cup of the covenant between me and you. With this cup, I am offering you this day my life. And if the bride takes it and she drinks of it, she is sending a message to her husband and to her family and to his family that I am accepting your life for mine and now my life belongs to you. We are now one. Well, in 2001, David and Sarah got married and they had one of these ceremonies. And at the end of the ceremony for David and Sarah, David went and filled the cup. 
But instead of handing the cup to Sarah, David stooped down, and he got on his knee, and he held the cup to her lips as she drank of the cup. You see, Sarah, 20 years old earlier, lost her arms and her legs. Sarah... David got on his knees and held that cup up to Sarah. You better believe that she drank every last drop of wine. She said, after the service, it was the first time that I saw love on display. And I knew that day that I had a true love that would literally now become my hands and my feet. I was made whole again. And for those that know Jesus this morning, you know that feeling. You know that feeling of being dismembered. You know that feeling of being broken. And through Jesus Christ, being made whole again. That's the good news that we preach. It's the good news that's demonstrated on this table behind me. So I ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know this one that by his life and by his death and by his resurrection, we are made whole. Do you know this one who said, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.